0: The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Hello and welcome to another week of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, Episode 8 of our 2020 season. I am the namesake. Thank you for joining us. This is a weekly podcast. Podcast about high school football in the Mid Ohio Valley. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook and respond to our post there. You can download us there, you can find us there. You can also find us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate us, review us. Always happy to have the feedback. We'll take a look at last week's poll question and introduce another one for you. There's not a whole lot to this week other than looking back at last week and looking ahead to next week, but holy cow, what a week we're looking back on. As you probably know by now, I, in addition to hosting this podcast and Countdown to Kevin off on the Seven Ranges radio stations. I am the broadcaster for Parkersburg South football, and I gotta say, I was involved in the strangest situation, probably of my career, and I heard some people say, or and some people call this, maybe the most absurd situation in the history of modern West Virginia high school football. I, I've looked it up actually. They didn't play football during the West Virginia Mine Wars, but if they had done so, that might top this and maybe be the only thing that topped this. Parkersburg South played an opponent on Friday that they didn't know they were going to play and that they hadn't scheduled a game with until five hours before the eventual kickoff of that game. Just some crazy circumstances that led us to Parkersburg South playing Cabell Midland. First, you have university involved. It was originally South and university on the schedule. And we all, and I mean everybody in the state, the media, both schools, anybody watching, thought that university would be able to play as of Thursday. Everyone was told and or led to believe that university status for Friday night and the status of all student-athletes in Montegalli County Schools was going to be based on the mid-morning COVID metric map on Thursday, which was orange. It was expected to turn red on Friday, which it did. More on that in a second. But everyone was led to believe multiple reporters from the Morgantown paper sought out, asked the question, sought out the answer to this question. And what they were told was that If the color changed midway through Friday, the color you wake up to on Friday was going to be the determiner for whether or not you could play. So when we hit that threshold on Thursday, and the color was still orange for Mon County, they couldn't practice, but they could play games. We were all led to believe that that was the determining factor. From this point on, the only thing that cancels this game is an active outbreak at one of the schools. That's not what happened. What happened is that the metric changed Friday afternoon... At least it was announced Friday afternoon. I've heard some say that they knew Friday morning, but the map was delayed in getting out. Further exacerbating things, Governor Justice was delayed in delivering his address and his COVID update that he does on a regular basis. I don't think it's daily anymore. I think he does it two or three times weekly, one or the other. So the map is delayed, or at least the release of the map is delayed, probably to dovetail with the governor's speech, which is delayed as well. And on top of that, this news is buried at the back of that speech. So by the time it comes out that University, Morgantown, and Clay Battelle cannot play their games, two of those three schools are already on their way there. Two of the three schools were on the road. So Justice either didn't know or didn't care about that aspect of things but the fact that they sat on this information and didn't bother to tell people who were out on the road to these games because in Mon County right now and I'm not sure how many of you knew this they're not transporting students on their buses to other counties for events so it's up to parents to take them there, and the coaches have to rely on a caravan of parents to take them to these events. At least that was the policies of last week. Now they're in the red, so they're not going anywhere. But until last week, that was the policy up until last week. So, Clay Battelle, you've got to wrangle all these people up and tell them, hey, we can't play today. A university heading down I-79, hey, turn around, come back, we can't play, governor's orders. Good luck doing that with all those people involved. Not to mention the fact that if someone was taking that person, then someone in that family probably had to call another parent. You know, Maybe one of the parents was working, one of the parents was driving, and say, hey, you know that trip to Parkersburg? Don't make it. The fact that they bury this information and could have prevented trouble for so many more people had they put that up front, that's mind-numbing. And frustrating in and of itself. But the big frustration is the fact that the student athletes and coaches involved were told one thing and then another thing happened. One of two things happened here. And there's no question that it was one of these two things. Either the rules were misinterpreted or they changed midstream. And that's tantamount to lying to those kids. The kids at those schools didn't do anything wrong. They did everything they've been asked to do in terms of distancing and mask wearing and making sure they're healthy. But their victims, of Mon County's numbers. They were dealt a really bad hand in a situation that didn't need to happen because the governor was irresponsible with information on a couple counts. That is not debatable. That's not debatable because either the governor should have told that information earlier or someone involved in state government should have made a better interpretation of the rule in terms of orange to red and what that does to your status. That should have been delivered a lot better as of Thursday so that people would know if that color code changes, what it means. People had to be told that the color change to red was one thing, but oh, by the way, it also means these games aren't happening. That was news to people. People didn't know that. And so kids had the rug swept down for them at the 11th hour. And now, with Mon County in the red, and that's largely tied to WVU, it's a possibility that the Mon County schools don't play a game this season, and that's a shame. I've heard some people say, well, take WVU's numbers out of Mon County's numbers. Well, that's not fair, because WVU students use the same restaurants, stores, public buildings, churches, post offices, banks, as Morgantown residents, as full-time Morgantown residents. That virus or those outbreaks of the virus on the WVU campus or that are related to WVU, those are not tied specifically to the campus areas. There are many people that don't live on campus at WVU, and even the ones that do live on campus, they come and go freely from campus. There doesn't seem to be a good answer right now under the current system, and we'll get to the current system in just a bit. Really unfortunate for Montegelia County, but again, the timeline for this, it's somewhere around 2.30 Friday afternoon that South and University doesn't happen. South, and I think pretty much every other school in the state at this point, has some contingency plans, and they've got backup opponents lined up. In other words, if it can't be A, well then I'm getting a call to B next, or if it can't be them either, then, then C or D. So, someone with South, presumably Nathan Tanner, calls someone with Cabo Midland, presumably Luke Salmons, their head coach, sometime after 2.30, after or around 2.30, and says, hey, we don't have a game tonight, university can't play, will you come and play us? At that very moment, because if you remember, last week's schools not in session yet at that very moment capital midland was in fairmont at east west stadium preparing to scrimmage fairmont senior who also couldn't play because of some changes from earlier in the week the freshmen and jvs were on the field luke sammons put it to his team hey do you want to go play in this scrimmage or do you want to go to parkersburg and play parkersburg south in a real game and of course being kids they said all right yeah we want to go play a real game sammons said you're on left two buses full of jvs in fairmont headed down to Wood County with his varsity team. They stopped somewhere at 8 and showed up around 6.30 at the Erickson All-Sports facility. Game ended up getting moved to 8, so it was about five hours' notice for Parkersburg South and Cabo Midland to happen, and four hours before South's regularly scheduled kickoff time. I think a large amount of credit needs to be given to Nathan Tanner, Parkersburg South, and Luke Sammons at Cabo Midland because how often do you hear coaches say, you know, we'll play anywhere, anybody, anytime? Well, these two guys did that with zero prep five hours of lead time. And for Cabo Midland, most of that was spent on route, or eating. And literally the entire time was was getting ready in some way, shape, or form. For Parkersburg South, it's the angst of, we don't have a game, and now we do have a game. Oh, it's Cabo Midland. And if you've never seen Cabo Midland's offense, it's based on misdirections. It's very run-heavy. There are a lot of guys in the backfield, in motion, and any of those guys could touch the ball at any time. Most teams would have trouble with that offense with a week to prep for them. But with five hours, and likely no film stuff, little to no film study, that was a big challenge for Parkersburg South. As it turns out, South made three turnovers that led to 21 Calum Midland points. They made some other mistakes, the penalties, all over the place in that game for both sides. It was not a crisp football game, but Calum Midland won 69-34. Parkersburg South will not say this. They would not say this. No one associated with South would say this, but I can. South should be 1-0 right now because they would have probably defeated University. That's a better University team than they were last year, but South is pretty good too. They were playing with a quarterback in Sam Schulder that was a bit hobbled, a bit of an ankle injury that brought his status in question a little bit more than I even realized leading up to that game. He wasn't as crisp of a passer as I've seen him in the past. They they rolled him out a lot and that probably didn't help things trying to throw either off of or around a bum ankle. They never really let Devin Gaines get it going. He had 95 yards, though he did reach the end zone a couple times. There were bright spots for South, but like I said, they traded a good team in University for a great team in Cabo Midland that would be tough to play early in the season no matter how much time he had to prep for them. Now South later in the year might have something for this Cabo Midland team, and as of right now, Cabo Midland remains on that schedule until October 23rd, it's not out of the realm if these two teams meet again. That might be a bit more of a fair fight, but as of right now, it wasn't. That's a tough offense to prep for, and Parkersburg South's defense, still a little raw and a little green. They weren't where they needed to be either. But either way, give Tanner and Sammons credit for being willing to play that game, but the situation was just mishandled at the state level. From Governor Jim Justice all the way down. And it's hard to even blame the Secondary Schools Activities Commission because Jim Justice is somebody that speaks things into existence at a whim. He's very much like our current president and, again... Not political opinions, but this is how he is. This is how he is as an executive. He acts this way. And this is because when someone is a billionaire, someone's a businessman, you're used to being able to speak things into existence. You say it, and then someone else does it. You don't care how the details happen, because you don't have to make the sausage. Someone else has to do the very tough work of making the sausage and making that thing work. But like our current president, Jim Justice is that way as an executive. He'll speak the things that he wants to see happen, and then the details get lost somewhere in the mix. So you can blame the SSAC because they were likely just as caught off guard as the rest of us were. And Justice doesn't care that Bernie Dolan probably got a lot of phone calls or will get a lot of phone calls and everyone at the SSAC office will probably get a lot of phone calls from angry Mon County parents. Because he doesn't have to see that side of things. He speaks it into existence. He says it and it happens. I will say this. It's a whole separate argument entirely as to whether or not the policy should have been that way in terms of if you wake up one color but change, then you're the color that you wake up. I think it's a bad optic for Mon County or any county that's orange, and then you change to red midday and you still play. That's not a good look. It looks like you're prioritizing an extracurricular high school event over public health. Because you are. That's what's what you're doing at that point. It's a bad optic, and it would have been a bad optic, I think, if the Mon County schools would have played. But to me, that's a different argument. The fact of the matter remains is that these folks thought they could play, and folks that knew they couldn't or had decided they couldn't, A, changed the rules midstream, or B, didn't clarify that everyone's interpretation of the rules were incorrect, and then they went on to C, wait until insanely late to let Everybody know that the situation was as it was. That was avoidable and ridiculous. But when you have a governor and an executive that's used to just saying things and not really caring about where the details fell, that tends to happen. He doesn't always think, or he rarely thinks, I'll say, of who his snap decisions and knee-jerk reactions affect. There have been a couple other decisions that Justice made that were made on a whim and made very late in the stream. So high school football players aren't usually caught up in some of those. They were this time. Either way, a situation that didn't need to happen. Parkersburg South would have won against University, I think, but they fall to 0-1. They'll look to rebound this week against Woodrow Wilson. We'll move on from this crazy situation as best we can. St. Mary's rolled against Alexander, and I think they got exactly the kind of win that you'd want to see a Class A favorite get in their opener. An unfamiliar opponent in Alexander, but they got 100 yards at a Trey Moss at a touchdown. Ben Long reached paid three times. If you're St. Mary's, now you got to figure out load management. you got to figure out how you're going to keep everybody happy in the backfield. St. Mary's did have a schedule change next week because of the Saturday COVID map. Wayne, their opponent for Game 2, is out. So the Blue Devils have picked up Double-A Grafton. So some good bonus points up for grabs against Grafton. Their team that beat East Fairmont 20 to nothing last week. PHS fell at Spring Valley. I was talking to John for the voice of the Big Reds. And that Spring Valley team, dominant up front. PHS never could get it going up front, held to less than 100 yards and a 42-7 loss. PHS's next opponent was supposed to be Capital, but Kanawha County still can't play, so how about this? PHS scheduled Wheeling Central, who was supposed to play Winfield, but that game couldn't happen. Central lost to Polka on Saturday afternoon in a game that had a lot of people's attention. Polka has cemented themselves as a front runner in AA by dealing with this, but how about PHS now facing a Wheeling Central team that's 0-1? I was reading somewhere that basically based on enrollment sizes this might be the biggest discrepancy between two teams to meet in modern west virginia high school football with phs currently has an enrollment of about 1800 students whereas wheeling central is about 150 and this might be the biggest discrepancy between school size in modern west virginia high school football history but now phs has picked up wheeling central the defending class a state champion and bluefield the defending class double a state champion that one's in october so there's going to be some more matchups like this teams that never in a million years would play were it not for a pandemic that's forcing you to go, well, you know what? If this is what it takes to play, here we go. So PHS and Wheeling Central on Friday. 7 o'clock kick from Stadium Field, by the way. Williamstown and Marietta was tight late until the Yellow Jackets were able to come away with a win. Late in the fourth quarter, they got a two-yard run from Trevor Oates, and uh, that is what sealed the deal. The extra point kick was no good, so it was a 34-28 win for Williamstown a pretty tight game between those two ball clubs. They kept saying after the graduation of Time Moore, someone was going to step up for the Yellow Jackets in the backfield. That was Trevor Oates, 23 carries, 206 yards for the Yellow Jackets. And for Oates, three touchdowns, including the game winner. Also had a big pick on defense as well. Braden Modisett had had a touchdown run. So there's always a next man up. If you remember Trevor Oates, he's the guy that lost the quarterback derby to Braden Modisett last year. And it was a close race, too, between those two guys. So he reemerges as the backfield threat for the Yellow Jackets. Next man up. There's someone always ready, and it was Trevor Oates. But you have to wonder about that defense allowing 28 points albeit to a much more practice, a much further developed Marietta team. That's a young team, but this was their second game, and they'd basically been practicing since mid-July. They had a lot more practices in than Williamstown had had, so definitely from a preparation standpoint, maybe that's part of it, but I think Williamstown's D is going to need to get right this week. Doddridge County rolls over Tyler Consolidated, and it was a coming out party of sorts for Reese Burnside. Burnside was able to get a touchdown catch. He ran for three touchdowns as the Bulldogs rolled 40 nothing and held Tyler below 100 yards. That begs the question as to whether or not Class A is wide open. In this week's Metro News Power Rankings, I believe Wheeling Central still got a vote or two, but you also had votes for Williamstown. You also had votes for Doddridge County. Pendling County got a vote. St. Mary's is somebody you have to look at in Class A right now. So it could be wide open. We'll know that a little bit more here over the next couple weeks. River gets on the board with a win, playing on back-to-back Saturdays to start the year. Pilots picked up a 42-14 win over Steubenville Catholic Central, so they'll play this Friday. Frontier rolls, they're now 2-0. And get this, they defeated Bellsville. They've won their first two games by a combined... 108-14. to They're 2-0, and they'll play Bridgeport this week. They don't have River on the schedule this year, by the way. That rivalry fell by the wayside when the Ohio schedule was shortened to six weeks. I believe after this week is the deadline for Ohio schools to decide whether or not they can opt in to the playoffs, and I would imagine shortly after that, we'll have an idea of how many teams are going to be in the playoffs in these Ohio districts, and we'll see what that bracket looks like, how big it is, and maybe get some more details on how the Ohio playoffs are going to work out. Congratulations goes out to Lance Bineger, the head coach of the Belprey Golden Eagles. Belprey got their first win of the season and Bineger's first win as head coach at Belprey They defeated Southern 27-6. to So Belprey will visit Trimble on Friday, the always tough Trimble Tomcats, but congratulations out to Lance Bineger and the Belprey Golden Eagles. Ritchie County, we haven't even had a chance to talk about Ritchie County yet in this program. Uh, they go to 1-0 with a 26-0 win over Magnolia and we found out how this offense was going to go without Trey Moss. Gus Morrison is going to be a threat out of the backfield and as a receiver. 15 carries, 169 yards, and two rushing scores for Morrison. Two catches for 81 yards, both of those for scores. So, not a bad day for Morrison. He scored four times on 17 touches and came close to 300 all-purpose yards. So, good stuff for the Rebels. We'll see uh, if they can keep it going as they'll play a new opponent in Wahama this week. We had jokingly referred to it, John Mike Nichols and I as air hot on the countdown to kickoff because we thought that without Trey Moss, that would lead Rick Hott, the head coach of the Rebels, and his son, quarterback Ethan, to air the ball out a little bit more. That wasn't quite the case. They got 15 carries out of Gus Morrison and 12 out of Brandon Riddle. They also got some touches for Graydon McKinney as well. Hoth threw the ball just six times, so not quite what maybe was being expected, but either way, it seems like Morrison is going to be the guy to key in on, and now that people are going to key in on Morrison, what happens to those other threats? Does that open up space for Graydon McKinney or Brandon Riddle? Where does this go? So we'll see how it goes for Ritchie County, but again, a big win for the Rebels in Week 1. Stay connected with us on Facebook, like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's take a look at this week's poll question. We asked you, is West Virginia's system of metrics and color-coded maps a fair way to determine which counties can hold extracurricular activities and which ones can't? If no, what would you suggest as a better way? We didn't have any suggestions. We had just one comment. Josh Billups says. I think for high school athletics, it is unfair because these teams play across counties so often. That is if they want to have a normal season. If they want to prioritize sports, I think having athletes do 100% remote learning and temperature screen before practice and activities makes sense in current conditions. Also include limited crowds at events and pump up the streaming of these games and events so folks don't have to attend to be a part of it. Now that part is happening. The streaming options, be it radio, be it video streaming, those are becoming a larger and larger part of high school sports this year. That's happening. I'm told crowd Crowds are limited places. I need to see more than one game and one place to see that and hear about more than just one event to, to see and hear that. But I was at the Parkersburg South Cabell Midland game and it was senior night at Parkersburg South, so there were a lot of parents of kids that were in other sports that I I presume that's why the crowd was larger than I expected, but it was probably about 70% of what a regular crowd would have been, at least on the home side of things, and that surprised me that it was that high. The Southside Psychos, the student section, they were not there, but I gotta say, Josh brings up a good point. These teams do play across counties so often. There are travel ball teams playing in AAU and in baseball from all over the place, including a Morgantown team that played Over the weekend, the Morgantown Redbirds, a travel ball baseball team, they were playing games with athletes going across county lines. I think it's a little bit arbitrary, especially when you consider that there are some schools that are separate by just three miles, but they've got a county line that divides them, and so one side of that you can play, one side you can't. There are people that go to school across county lines, more than we realize, more than the SSAC would like there to be, I think. I do think it's a good idea that Josh brings up, if you're an athlete, maybe remote learning is the way to go this year for you, if you haven't already opted into that. That keeps you away from the general student population, but again, it's not like those students are not hanging out out with her friends on the weekends and things like that. That's more of a controlled setting and, and fewer people, but you know that's something you should have thought about, perhaps, if you're making that decision about remote learning. Temperature screening, I saw it more in Ohio when I was over there than I did in West Virginia. Temperature screening is... Pretty easy to do uh, before practice and activities. I was temperature screened before I gave blood last time I went to give blood. So people are looking out for a thing like that. I'll be honest, I was somebody that up until last week really believed in this map, really believed in this system of metrics for COVID. But until I saw The Mon County example play out, and they're going to be the bellwether for why this doesn't work. I don't think this works. You can have youth sports, you can have intramural sports, travel ball, and things like that, but you mean to tell me you can't have extracurricular events in that same setup? You look at a place like Cabell County, where they not only had high school games last week, they had a college game with fans. Marshall played Eastern Kentucky in front of about 12,000 people. And Eastern Kentucky is going to go to Milan Pushkar Stadium on Saturday in front of nobody. There'll be no fans at WVU for the game on Saturday between WVU and Eastern Kentucky. One of the coaches that was talking about this on social media, and it might have been Donnie Mays at South Charleston, said there were probably people that Marshall game that are from yellow and orange counties because a lot of counties in that area are yellow or orange, Uh, and maybe even some people from Mon County, a red county, or Monroe County, which was red for a long time. So, you can go to a college game in those towns, but high school kids can't play? It's so inconsistent with everything else that's going on. I don't know that a one-size-fits-all solution is needed, and I don't know that there's anybody that has the time to sit over it and declare who can who can't. You'd need to create a rubric for that, but but Mon County kids are clearly getting a short end of the stick here. Like I said earlier, there's no good answer under the current system because you can't take the WVU student population out of that Mon County count. You have to put it in there somewhere. But that also leaves Mon County extremely vulnerable to the actions of people that don't live there full-time. College kids taking experiences away from high school kids. In a year full of bad situations, it's a pretty bad situation. So I was somebody that until I saw that play out, I really believed in the system, really believed in the way things were. I don't now. How long is this going to go on for Mon County? What's it look like when WVU plays home games later this year with fans? Does that still happen if Mon County can't have extracurricular high school activities? You had to think that WVU was going to play a pretty big impact in that county, and probably more so than any other individual impact in other counties. So, if you think that, and they should have thought that, was the goal, well, it's fair for 54 of the 55 counties, and that's good enough. That's not fair for those kids, and in the one county where it's not. It's not good enough for them. There's a myriad of issues with this. And I'm not saying you have to let everybody play. I'm more leaning now to a system where you let everyone play, but if you have specific reason to think it's not safe for a certain game to happen, then don't play that game. Or don't have that county play. And I don't know. I mean, this is also a weekend that saw Trinity earn a forfeit win from Wart County because Wart County didn't want to go there. Their superintendent didn't want to send their student athletes and their fan base to a county that was red. And I get that, too. Do I like it? Not necessarily. I mean, it's not like just because you breach the county line, you're at greater risk of, of COVID. It's not like Trinity plays behind the mountain lair or anything like that. You know, They play in a different part of town warn your fan base, hey, don't stop at any gas stations there. Don't plan to eat there. Just get in and get out. I think that's a doable thing or could have been a doable thing. They opted not to because they're acting with the safety of their student-athletes and their general population in mind. So I don't know. I I don't think there's a workable situation under this metric where it's fair for everybody. Either you've got to rework this and find a solution for Mon County, or you've got to admit that this wasn't fair to Mon County, make an exception if you have to, or just let everybody play until you have a reason to believe they can't play. Those might be your best options. Not one of them are good options. I want to thank Josh for writing into this week's poll of another poll question here in just a few minutes. But again, a lot to think about. A lot of not good situations in a year full of not good situations. He Here's a segment we didn't get to last week. It's the games of the week. (laughs) This could change. I'm skeptical about having this in the show this week. But PHS and Wheeling Central, just because of sheer curiosity, does Wheeling Central bounce back? And do they score that win against a Class AAA team? Does PHS take the opponent lightly? It's their home opener, but it's also the Class A champion. They're a small school team, but they can play with a lot of AAA teams. We always say that. Now we'll find out how true that is. Richie and Wahama is an interesting one because those two schools haven't met in recent memory, and Wahama is a team that's not played a lot of West Virginia schools lately. This is just the 22nd time since 2010 that Wahama's playing a West Virginia school in the regular season. Just less than a quarter of their games in the last decade have come against West Virginia schools in the regular season. The White Falcons are now out of the Ohio-based TVC, so this year's schedule has only one Ohio school and nine West Virginia schools. That's a big change for them. They're in the LKC and Until about 10 or 15 years ago, they went to the Tri-Valley Conference in Ohio, but now they're back in scheduling West Virginia schools. And I get it. If you look at where they are in Mason County, they're right there on the river. Uh, They're not really around a lot of Class A schools, and around a lot of schools in Southeastern Ohio, that it wouldn't make a lot of sense for them to play. So I could see where they thought at one point that would be a wise move. But I just don't think there's anything good about having eight of your 10 games every year being schools from out of your state. I think it's a more fairer look at how you are as a team when as many as possible of your opponents are within the state. So, we'll see something new in Richie Wahama. That's interesting. And Williamstown, Ravenswood. I'd like to see if Williamstown's defense can step up and maybe show some things that they haven't been able to show yet this year and shut somebody down. There's a real good chance for that against a Ravenswood team that was held at just 26 total yards last week against Buffalo in a Buffalo win. Our games on the stations of Seven ranges slash Mid-Ohio Valley Radio. ninety six nine, has Parkersburg South and Woodrow Wilson. Light Rock 93R has that new St. Mary's Grafton game. WXCR has Tyler Consolidated and South Harrison. We'll see if Tyler can get their offense in motion again. And WVAM, our new True Oldies channel, has PHS and Wheeling Central, another new game. Take a look at this week's poll question. We asked you, were you surprised by anything you saw this week? Were you surprised if you were able to make it to a high school football game last weekend? Were you surprised by anything you saw? Uh, some examples I included were sides of the crowd, sloppy play, the end results of some of these games, etc. I already said I was a little bit surprised by the Parkersburg South crowd. I'll need to see more crowds and more South crowds to see if that's going to be the norm or where that's going to be. I was surprised by how many blowouts there were. I thought there'd be some closer games. Teams that were both sloppy, but sloppy and not dominant over one another. I really thought you'd see more of that this year. But uh, we'll save that thought for next week as well. But again, the poll question, if you were able to make it to a high school football game last weekend, were you surprised by anything you saw? Uh, Go ahead and answer that. It's not a multiple choice question, so I want See how many people respond to that. The poll question may go away. I like it, but again, I can't get the poll to work on Facebook. It's just not for whatever reason, and Facebook didn't respond to my request for help on that. So we'll see what happens there. Like us on Facebook if you haven't already. You can find us each week. The show drops every Wednesday on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Come back next week for much more discussion. We'll have a rundown of what's the latest in West Virginia high school football. It's going to be a crazy season. It's already been nutty, and we're only one weekend. It's only our second week. but It's our eighth episode, but I'm telling you, the unusual will become the usual. We'll have to embrace the unusual this season to get through it with our sanity intact. It's going to be a different season from any you've ever seen. So again, until next week, thank you for listening. I'm the namesake, Eric Little. We'll do it again next week, and I'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the games this week, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode.